Blog Talk Radio. Guys, it's Robert Simmons, host of the Real Talk with Robert Simmons show. And I know sometimes you sit there and you say, man, that guy has some really good-looking skin. And you're right. And you want to know who maintains that beautiful skin? Premier Dermatology of Florida, under the direction of Dr. Joanna McGetrick. They will have you looking as fly and good as me. Make sure you go check them out for more information. Visit PremierDermOfFL.com. Again, that is PremierDermOfFL.com. And we are back. Bob, I don't see the Facebook live feed. 
heat up right now, but you know what? That's not going to stop the show. We're actually going to go ahead and continue and as we had an interview. If you guys uh, see a pop-up, people are saying they don't see it on Facebook Live. That's all right. We are actually in the process of fixing that. But without further ado, I'm going to introduce on the Real Talk of Robert Simmons show, the Welcome Back show, Mr. Wayne Clark. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Robert. Thank you for having me on your show. Man, I'm glad uh, you were able to come. I've been knowing you a short time now. Um, I first met you at the Mellingen Market uh, on the east side, and I went past the side. I said, well, who's this guy? And uh, I'm Wayne Clark, wonderful sheriff. I met your daughter first. And since that time, I've come to know you to be a pretty cool individual. But for those people that have no idea who you are, tell them a little bit about who you are, what it is uh, that you do. Uh, thank you, Robert. Born in Jacksonville, lived here my whole life. Um, I have a 40-year law enforcement career. I started out at 18 years old as a volunteer police officer with the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office in 1980. And, and then I became a corrections officer in 1980, and I went to the police academy in 1983, was able to work my way through the Sheriff's Office up to sergeant in 1990. I worked a few times in investigations as a sergeant. I became a lieutenant. 1997, um, served as a lieutenant, then a zone commander in zone six, zone commander in zone five. Sheriff uh, Rutherford came in and put me over the narcotics advice unit and promoted me to the chief of patrol division west, <clears throat> excuse me, where I commanded half the city. Um, I did that till, to, um, till 2010, and in 2010 I went to become the chief of police of the Jacksonville Aviation Authority Police Department. And in 2015, I became um, employed with the Duval County School Police Department and ending there as the chief of police here, retiring just two weeks ago. Wow, wow. Well, congratulations uh, on your retirement. This is a, this is a big uh, office you're running for. I mean, we're talking share of the seventh fastest growing city, 12th in population, Thirty uh, percent African American. I mean, those are some; those are huge statistics out there. And um, the sheriff's department for Jacksonville is known worldwide for good and bad. You running for office? What inspired you to run for the sheriff after such a great career with the department? Well, Robert, being born here in Jacksonville, I love Jacksonville. I have a passion for the city. And in my 40-year career, I've seen the population of this county double. And in my career, I've seen a lot of things before as law enforcement. I've seen the change in the demographics of the people and the community. And after 40 years of service, I'm now free to give myself as a servant to the community to do what is necessary to raise the sheriff's office from a good agency to a great agency. You talked about it just a minute ago. We have a lot of great police officers in Jacksonville. And with all this growth, you know, the seventh fastest growing city, the 12th largest, the sheriff's office has gone through a lot of growth. We have a very large amount of officers that have 10 years or less on the department. So what I see the agency needing to make that next great step is a good, strong leader with experience and qualification and a clear vision to move us from a, from a good police agency to a great police community service agency. 
Wow, that that's that's <laughs> mouth a mouthful. So let me ask you this. So a lot of people we're gonna take calls in a little bit, they're saying, Okay, uh those statistics are right, it's it's fast growing, the department is growing. And while we're there, let's ask this question. Um, do you plan do we need more police officers? This is usually a big topic when it comes to roundtable discussions with different groups, uh, whether we need more police officers or maybe they should be trained better. Do you intend on bringing more police officers or collaborating with community organizations to help make this better or, or, or all of the above? More of us, all of the above. You know, we, how do we determine what is the right number of officers? Many times they look at a ratio of a certain amount of officers per 1,000 people. The good and bad of Jacksonville, yes, we are 1 million people. The bad thing is that's spread out of 870 square miles. We're not compact in a small city. Um, but when we look at um, how we're deploying our people, um, what are the um, other, age, other um, parts of the department that are supporting patrol, um, the sheriff's office two years ago commissioned the um, International Chief of Police Association to do a study and look at their deployment of personnel. We may have the right number of officers, it's just that we don't have them deployed appropriately. So I think that if we first take a look at how we have our officers deployed and make that adjustment, come up with a standard uh, amount of people in patrol to make sure that we can answer our calls, then from there we can establish a baseline of what is the minimum staffing we need and go forward from that. Because just sheer numbers don't necessarily equate to less crime, just like more money doesn't equate to less crime. Absolutely, absolutely. So here's the question that a lot of people get, even people that have seen some of the advertisements leading up to the show. They asked me this, I'm going to ask you this. Well, Robert, uh, what makes Wayne qualified to be here? So in your own words, to those future voters out there that want to say, you know, I'm thinking about voting for Wayne, uh, tell us a little about your leadership uh, skills or things that you, you know, your record of leadership in the community. Thank you, Robert. So we talked about my time at the sheriff's office. I was very fortunate um, to get ranked very early on. I was able to work in many um, major units in the sheriff's office. But the biggest thing that I liked was um, in 2007, Sheriff Rutherford allowed me to be the lead for the agency to reduce murders and violent crime in the city. We were able to work with all of our partners in the community to employ what we call intelligence-led policing using data to tell us when and where to deploy our personnel. And we were able to reduce murders and violent crime from 2007 through 2011 to a 25-year low. <clears throat> I've been able to serve on several boards around the city, um, um, the KIPP board, the Newtown Success on board, Family Support Services, North Florida. I think another big component of that was in 2007, I had the opportunity to go to the FBI National Academy in Quantico, Virginia, and to talk with police professionals from around the world to see how other agencies attack and approach law enforcement. So I think that um, that experience at the sheriff's office and then going to the airport, to work at the airport in that environment, working with those federal partners, and then coming to the school system, I had no idea of the complexities it took to work as a police officer in the school system. So I think with the experience with the sheriff's office in a traditional agency, going out to the airport as a, with a federal agency, working with those partners, and now working with the school system, it gives me a broader view 
of the necessary things to serve the community as a sheriff. We know that a lot of issues in the community are perpetrated by our youth, having a better understanding of those youth to come up with programs to help the school system, to help those youth so that we can deter them from getting further into the criminal justice system uh, once they uh, turn adults. Okay, now I'm going to get into the complicated questions. Are you ready? <laughs> oh, so yeah. One of those, one of those questions uh, is is simply this: We live in a very unique culture now. Um, there has to be a balance. We know. I was in a barbershop today over at Man Cave, and he was talking about the black on black violence in, in in Jacksonville. And you have organizations like Black Lives Matter. Um, what's the balance between the two? How how do you plan on also enforcing crime, but as well, uh, you know, um, we all know that all police officers aren't bad, but there are groups out there that say all police officers are because of this. How do you plan on balancing uh, good police officers and bad police officers, and with that, still administering justice? So, you know, Robin, unfortunately, as a profession, we get judged by the actions of a single officer or a few officers. Overwhelmingly, most police officers are good to great officers. I think that what we need to do, we need to do more um, education and more public announcements of those things that officers do, that, that of the good that they're doing in the community. And I think that when we have an officer that does something that's deemed inappropriate, we should take immediate action and take appropriate action, whatever we can, legally or through the, the rights of the officers, to, to remove that officer from the element so that they're not in the community. Um, people nowadays, they are demanding different things out of our officers. They want us to be more accountable. They want us to build trust and legitimacy um, in our relationship with them. They want to have some additional policy oversight in what we do. Um, they want to to turn more to community policing where they get to know the officers through a relationship. So, you know, um, we need to recognize that sometimes we do get it wrong, and when we get it wrong, we need to take our take actions immediately to, to fix that situation and remove those officers that are making the industry look bad. Right. So we, we know this, you know, <laughs> policing a society is a complex so when it comes to individual groups, when we start talking, we look at in the Hispanic community the way they view the police, and in the black community the way they view the police. You look at maybe some parts of what we call white America view police. Is there a cookie-cutter way to work with all these What's your plan on – because when, you, when you're sheriff, you're, you're, you're sheriff of the people, all people, not just black, not just white, not just Hispanic, not just Asian, all people. Uh, what's your plan as far as diversity uh, in the aspect of if, if that's hiring more cops of, of different races or putting them in different zones? Is there a plan uh, on how that actually works in uh, police departments? So, Robert, there is not a cookie-cutter approach. You know, we have to recognize the differences in all of the, the different communities in, in the city 
and learn what their unique concerns and issues are. And almost like a doctor, we have to write a specific prescription to make sure that we do the right type of policing for their community. You know, equitability is what we should look for. Some communities need more police help than others. So, you know, when we mm-hmm. when we go to our Hispanic brothers, they may have one set of concerns. We learn those concerns and we make the issues appropriate for them. And when we go to our brothers in the black community or the white community, we do the same thing. We must recognize that we are all human, but we all have different needs, and there's not a one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to policing. Some people want us to hire a lot of police and just saturate the streets, but that's called over-policing. We don't necessarily need to do that. We need to find the right balance, and a lot of times it's not so much police service that they need. They may need some other services that the police can probably be a conduit to help bring to bring their neighborhoods up to a situation where they're comfortable uh, in their neighbor, in their, their communities. Wow, great, great, great answer. Um, hey guys, if you want to talk to Mr. Wayne yourself, I encourage you to call in. Again, the number is five six three nine 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 three four zero zero. Press the number one. That will put you in queue to speak with Mr. Clark. Again, that number is five six three nine nine nine. Three four zero zero. Press the number one. It will put you in queue to speak with Mr. Wayne Clark. Ask him these questions. If he becomes your next sheriff, what would you like to see in the community? What are your concerns in the community that you living that you're living in right now? And we're talking uh, Jacksonville, the 904 area. Um, like I said, the seventh largest city in America right now. Very very important city to to America. In fact. And I got to be honest with you, uh, talking where you were just talking, saying, you know, specific groups of people need uh, different levels of attention. So there is no cookie-cutter way to say, hey, there's no one way to treat every uh, group of people. Do you find that to be complicated, or is it something that you're just you're willing to tackle and uh, just do with the, the best of your possible abilities? I don't see it as being too overly complicated. It's just, you know, checking the pride at the door and going in with an open mind and tell me what is it that you need from me and me making the decision to do what's necessary to provide that. You know, um, it's like when you have children, you, you love them all, but you treat them equitably. You find out what their particular concerns are and you do what's necessary to meet their needs. So um, it, it may be initially a little challenging because, you know, there's a trust issue that we must first bridge. But I think with consistency and time, we can um, convince everybody that this is in the best interest of everybody. We can't arrive until we all arrive. And so I think that um, that is something that we can do. Wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, you have a great flyer and a great acronym. I will let you explain that to the people, um, the, the steps that you have. Can you explain that? Sure. Uh, we call it TAC. These are five pillars that we develop that everything we do will be anchored in these five pillars, and they are trust, accountability, accessibility, compassion, and transparency. It makes it very simple, Robert. Whenever we do something, the question we need to ask ourselves, does this add trust between the agency and the community? If the answer is no, we can't do that. We ask ourselves, does this add accountability 
between the agency and the community? If the answer is no, we won't do that. Does it add accessibility? Does it add compassion? Does it add transparency? You know, the biggest thing now in law enforcement is building trust. And we've got to move in a swift direction to to validate that we are about building trust. And that comes down to building a relationship between the community and law enforcement. And the biggest way to do that, I believe, Robert, is going back to the basics, and we call that community policing. A lot of people tell me they remember the name Sheriff Hubbard was here. He was always in the community, always talking to the people. We've got to move our officers out of their cars, back into the community, getting to know the people so we build that trust. And I think we build that trust, we gain accountability. We show that we are accessible, and we become human, and we're showing compassion because if you've never been hungry, you can't understand what a man or woman say that they're hungry. If you've never been um, poor, you can't understand what a person say that they're poor. So, you know, and then transparency. We just need to be proactive to tell people information as quickly as we can, as accurately as we can, without compromising an investigation. Great, great. Guys, remember, I see everybody calling in. If you want to speak, you have to press number one. The number one will notify me that you can actually come on the air. Again, that number is 563-999-3400. Again, that is 563-99-3400. And press the number one. The number one will put you in queue to ask Mr. Clark a question. He's a, he, this is a very, very important uh, position to be in. This is a uh, it's, it's serious. I guess that's the best way that I can can explain it. Um, but I have a question. And uh, what when, if you become sheriff? What's the first thing that you would do? I know you probably get that a lot. What's what's your number one agenda? I know there's a lot of things that have to be handled. What would you first do? I think the very first thing we do is we look at the command structure and the supervisors to make sure that as policies are made that they're carried out all the way down to the bottom. The officers, from what I'm hearing at the bottom, they're not getting consistent communication from the top down. Leadership and accountability starts at the top. So I think that the first thing is is to make sure that we have training of our supervisors and our command as we go about changing the policy and the trajectory of the agency, we can make sure that those policies are put into place and everybody is held accountable to make that change. You know, a lot of times a policy will be written and we say we have a policy, we have a policy, but no one is implementing that policy and we have no way to quantify or we getting the desired results of what we want to do. So I think that would be something we would do simultaneously with getting some additional training, especially when we come to the part of interpersonal communication skills with our officers, how do we build trust, how do we get into community policing and problem-solving principles, um, some bias awareness. You know, and a big thing I think we need to work on is this new concept that's called procedural justice. And in procedural justice, mm-hmm. the concept in that is that um, impartiality in decision-making, transparency in our actions, giving people a voice, when encounters with police and fairness in the process. So um, I think that working on those two things as first, because the first thing that we've got to do, Robert, is we got to build trust and accountability between the citizens and our agency. And without those two first pillars, the rest of it is very difficult. And to do that, we got to 
collaboratively work together to come up with what we want to change, make sure that that change happens, and hold everybody accountable to make sure that those changes happen. Uh, this is a, a ridiculous question I got in from uh, someone. Uh, they said, do you plan on going back to the old badges? You guys changed the badges, I guess, recently, uh, day or so? <laughs> Did they change them? So in, in 2018, the 50th year celebration of the um, consolidation, the sheriff allowed people to go with a star. Um, because we are consolidated, we have a, a shield. Um, it, you know, the way a mm-hmm. sheriff's office badge is shaped. Most other sheriff's offices have a star. And so they may be talking about that star that the sheriff allowed during that 50th yeah. anniversary. But because of consolidation, yeah. we have a sheet. Where, that's why it's the office of the sheriff, Jacksonville Police, kind of a compromise between the two. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go to the phone lines. Let me see here. Uh, Go ahead, caller. Uh, you're on the air. Hello? Uh, uh, can, can you hear us? All right. We'll, uh, we'll, go, we'll go back to that. Guys, remember to speak. Just press the number, the number one. I see the phone lines are lit up, but you have to press the number one. Again, the number is 563-999. Three four zero zero again. That's five six three nine 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 three four zero zero. I have another question that just came in. It's asking, and of course you can answer this. Um, do we vote for you at the beaches? That is uh, yes, correct, right? Yeah, that, that, that is, is Duval County. Yes. That is correct. Okay. So now, so to prevent from everybody coming and saying, hey. Uh, what about Atlanta Beach? What about Jacksonville Beach? What about this? Anything that is Duval County, you will be considered. You will be the sheriff if you won the election, right? That is that is correct. Okay, so yeah, so that just let them know that that is a question. So a lot of people, and it's amazing. Um, sometimes the lack of information that we actually have out to the people, because a lot of people don't know because they live in Atlanta Beach or because they live in Jacksonville Beach that they have to vote in the JSO election. And uh, I think a lot of times we probably take that for granted or we, or we miss that. So for those of you that are listening in Jacksonville Beach, Atlantic Beach, yes, as long as you are in Duval County, uh, you are voting for the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office uh, Sheriff. And that, like you said, was because of the consolidation, correct? That is correct. Okay. Okay. We have a lot of different questions coming in. Uh, I guess people are people are afraid to talk to you on the phone, but um, they're they're sending their questions. <laughs> Is there anything that uh, you would you would like to tell the voters? So if somebody's sitting home and they're just sitting on the couch and they're listening to this show right now and they are afraid to call and uh, say something, what issues? As an individual, that's on your heart that you would like to tackle and address if you become sheriff. To be a servant um, leader, I look at my career four mm-hmm. years, Robert. I could have easily sat home and just you know faded away like an old cowboy. 
but you know, I look at because of I, I love the city. You know, I've, all my kids were raised here. I have relatives here. Um, it, it, it would, it would, it would, I, being a servant to be free to offer myself to the people of Jacksonville as a sheriff, relatively free from the outside influences, to be able to walk in a room and just do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. I'm not looking for this election to spring me for some other election. Um, this is a calling that I believe that I'm suited for, that I've been qualified for, I believe I have the vision for, to just do the right thing for Jacksonville. You know, we talk about a city right at a million people. We look at all the potential development that can come to our city. <clears throat> people still want the three main things of life, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And to do that, a community needs to be set in their education system, set in their economic system, and set when it comes to safety. You look at Jacksonville, one of the hottest markets in the country as far as jobs and opportunity. You look at the potential that we have and look at our education system. We have schools that are way better now than they were years ago. And what we need to do to get that third leg of that stool put together is get past all the issues when it comes to law enforcement. We need to come to the 21st century when it comes to law enforcement and work with the people of this present age. I want to be able to walk into a room and check my pride at the door and sit down at the table of collaboration with an open mind and just do whatever is right for all the communities of Jacksonville. Great. Now, this is probably uh, the most controversial question, um, and it is citizen advisory boards, I believe. I, did I say that right? <laughs> They want uh, citizen well, review boards, police officers. Right, right, citizens review boards. This has come up over the years. Um, it's gained a lot of momentum because of the issues of the last several years. Um, we, it's been here an issue. So, you know, around the state, here in Florida, we are in a, in a unique situation. There are a couple of statutes that kind of put um, a damper on a citizens review board unless the sheriff is willing to go along with uh, some of the, uh, the, the, the options. So here, Florida State Statute 112, which is uh, covers the Law Enforcement Officer Bill of Rights, it says that only the sheriff's office or a police agency can investigate an officer for misconduct or some other non-criminal offense. So unless we change Tallahassee, we can't get around that. And when we look at Chapter 30 of Florida Statutes, which talks about the powers of a sheriff, only the sheriff can hire and fire an officer. So no matter what the council does, you can't take away that power from the sheriff. Now, I think we can find a compromise when we look at the citizen review board model that's used by the city of Orlando. And when we look at that model in the city of Orlando, it's a pretty straightforward model. It tells um, all those involved, they have people that are selected, they are trained um, citizens to, to make the decision on the board. And in that policy, they cannot do independent investigation. They cannot call witnesses. It doesn't violate the civil service rules. It doesn't violate any state statutes. Basically, when an investigation is finished, the investigation is reviewed by that committee to determine if policies were followed, if, if, if statutes were followed, all the T's were crossed, all the I's were dotted. They can either agree with the findings, they can disagree with the findings, they can recommend some additional investigation, or they can dissent. 
And the dissension is written is in a written form so that when the sheriff gets the recommendation from the committee, now we can see why you disagree, and that gives the sheriff more information to make a more informed decision. It doesn't take any power away from the sheriff. It just gives the sheriff an additional tool. By doing that, it goes a long ways to help to instill trust in the community, accountability, and transparency. In fact, most major law enforcement organizations like the International Chief of Police Association recommend that police agencies try to find some type of citizen review to add that layer of transparency and, um, and trust in law enforcement. So I think that if we really put ourselves to it and check, check our pride at the door and look at the Orlando, city of Orlando model, I think it can give us what we need on both sides. And, and as Stephen Covey says, it can be a win-win, a win for the sheriff because the sheriff don't have to give up anything, a win for the community that they get a, a way to look at things. And plus, having that extra layer will cause the investigators to do more due diligence to make sure that they get their investigation right, to make sure that they investigate things down to the, to, to the end because they know there will be a layer of scrutiny before it goes up to the sheriff. Wow, that's uh, very in-depth information, and there's a lot of information that people probably don't, they really don't know. I have another question what? here. You may have answered this one already, and that is, Mr. Clark, what makes you, I'm going to just uh, paraphrase because I don't think they meant to type it like this, what separates you from the other candidates that are running for sheriff? So when you look at the other candidates, you know, not to talk about any of those candidates, I'm not running against anybody. I'm running for the office. When we look at, as you mentioned earlier, we're a big city. This is a big agency. It's a complex agency. We need people who, who have a proven track record of what they've done in the past as an indicator of what they might do in the future. People who have led major parts of the organization who understand the budgetary issues, who understand the community issues, the understand the policy issues, not just a person who momentarily has gotten rank and they think, now I think I want to be the boss. With all of my qualifications and with all of my experience, when I come in, it's going to be difficult for me. And I'm just being honest because you have to surround yourself with good people, but you need to have a clear vision and an understanding of the workings of the agency, workings of the city, a good understanding of the community to make, make this jump to the next level. So I think that qualification, experience, clear vision is what separates me from the other candidates and having a proven track record of working at the sheriff's office, being able to accomplish major things, going to the Jacksonville Aviation Authority to be able to accomplish great things, and also coming to the school district to accomplish great things. And I think those things qualify me along with my, my education. I have a master's in public administration from Central Michigan University. My um, service at the FBI National Academy and some of the other uh, management programs that I've gone through puts me out there as uh, a, a far beyond the qualifications of the other candidates in the race. Okay. Uh, we have a question coming from Facebook now. Do they have a budget for police cameras worn on their person or on the dash that increase transparency? So the body-worn cameras are now part of the sheriff's office budget. 
Um, the that mm-hmm. was budgeted three or four years ago, I believe. When uh, but now that's part of their budget that they have. Those are the body worn cameras that every officer um, that's in uniform and a few officers in some of the specialty units like DUI, traffic, and so forth. They all wear body worn cameras. The investigators like homicide investigators, robbery, and so forth. They do not wear the body worn cameras. But um, cameras in cars are something that we should consider. Now technology is made where the, the price break to get those have come down. And I think as many things as we can to validate and show transparency, we should consider. Technology is a big thing that we should leverage to make us more efficient. In my experience, most of the officers who had cameras in their cars tend to not violate rules than those who did. Now, some of the issues we need to work out with the cameras, I've heard this from people, um, the officers, um, they say they forgot to turn the camera on, or they got out the car and the camera is mounted with magnets and the camera fell off. Well, we need to get away, get, a, get away to make sure that cameras don't fall off and through technology make it where with a proximity switch, which is able that when they get out the car, the camera automatically comes on. Because if you're going to use a camera as a way to validate accountability and transparency, we need to have a high degree of confidence that it will be on and working as we described. Wow, that is that sounds like more of a technical problem for the manufacturers of those. Uh, could you guys push for that that they provide maybe study better ways? Because I see that a lot. I've seen a lot of, I don't know if it was just conveniently, it just happened, but I've seen police officers say, well, I got out the car and it fell. And that's why we don't have that. Uh, so how much, of, how much of a problem is that? The technology is here. The fix is here. It's just having the, the, the courage as a leader to make it happen. So, so to pivot off of that, um, going through the academy, right now you have to have, a, I think, what, a four-year degree or four years military experience, and then you go to the police academy, if I'm not mistaken. Um, do you plan on having additional training for officers, new officers coming out from the academy? It's something that we see a lot. We see a lot of new officers. They're the ones getting a lot of the trouble when you see sometimes uh, the unarmed shooting and things like that. It, it's more often it, it's, a, it's a newer cop versus a, a veteran cop. Uh, why is that, and do you uh, have intentions on more training coming out of the academy for that? Yeah, we, we do need more training um, in the soft skills. You know, um, Florida State Statute 943 talks about the requirements of officers to get hired. And then um, when we look at the training standards as far as firearms and, you know, you know physical use of force and so forth, we as an agency need to put more emphasis on teaching officers some of the soft skills, you know, on mental health, how to deal with the mental health. We seem to have a lot more issues with people with mental health now due to PTSD, due to substance abuse mental health, or the other traditional mental health situations. So we need to work beyond the minimum and do more on that because by de facto, police have become mental health counselors, and we've not gone to school for that. So we need to train them more and deal with that. We need to do more training on de-escalation techniques with our officers to understand that sometimes we have time on our side. If a person is in crisis and they're not hurting themselves or hurting anyone, we can wait till we get some other person 
we've talked about the co-responder program where putting a clinical um, a psychologist or a psychiatrist in a car with a police officer so that we don't overreact and go up and do things to how to do the de-escalation techniques. And, you know, and we need to do more of the um, um, community relations um, training with the officers to understand how to talk to people, how to relate to people. So that is something that we need to do on the training to teach more of the soft skills. I think that we, we put a lot of emphasis on the hard skills, but when you look at it, most officers will go their career and never have to discharge their firearm. A lot of officers go their whole career and never have to take any real major physical force against a suspect. But people interact with people verbally all the time. So years ago, there was this thing we should call verbal judo that everybody was going through. It was a state-mandated course to try to work on de-escalation. But I think we've gotten away from that as a mandatory, and I think we need to work more and more toward de-escalation skills and specifically working toward uh, training in the area of mental health. I um, now that I couldn't agree with you more uh, as far as the mental health on both sides, with the officers and uh, in the city and state of Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, mental health seems to be an area that we lack funding and, and things like that. So let's talk about funding and the whole movement of defunding the police. Um, that's not a reality, is it? I mean, to defund the police with that, would that go against the population, the average Joe, to defund? I mean, do you guys have enough money now? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm against defunding the police. You know, um, I am for being fiscally responsible for the dollars that you have. But absolutely, I'm against defunding the police. You know, we we need the police in our community. The police are the good guys, and the police do a great job. But can we do better in some areas? Absolutely. I think that we need to look at, for years, a lot of things by default were given to police to handle because no one else handled it. I think that we need to look at our business model and just basically use this as a guide. Does this position need a gun and a badge? to do it? If the answer is no, the next question you say, well, can we civilianize this position so that we can now free up an officer to go out to do our bread and butter work out in patrol? And another side factor in that, that it's less costly to hire a civilian than to hire a police officer. The fact is, Robert, we do have some officers holding jobs that could be done by a civilian or some other um, farm out that to work to some other community service organization, because we're doing it because at the time we took it on, no one else would do it. But let's look at how we're doing things, and can we give those services over to some other agency, and let's return back to our basics. So if we were to pull enough people back to the basic patrol function, we might be at that right number. I don't know. We just have to do a little more um, studying to find out. But um, I'm definitely 100% against defunding the police, but I am for being fiscally responsible for the dollars we have to make sure that we can gain better efficiencies in how we hire people, or maybe we can leverage more efficiency through technology to make ourselves more efficient. But um, I'm, I'm definitely against defunding the police. And I think most people in okay. Jacksonville, at least, are against that also. Okay. Well, in, in closing, uh, first of all, I want to thank you uh, for taking out this time and coming on and speaking to the people. 
And, um, of course, they, they would have more questions coming in toward the end. Um, what would you tell, in closing, uh, those people that are, they love, they love what you said tonight. They're saying, man, this is, I, I, I love everything you said. Maybe I'll vote for him. Maybe I won't. What would you say for those people that are on the fence that say, I don't know? How would you convince them? I would just ask them to look at all of the candidates that are running to make sure that you are highly confident that whomever you choose can really step in and make the changes that you desire in the city. We all have a vision for Jacksonville. I think we all want a one Jacksonville. We want Jacksonville to be that bold new city of the South. But in order to be that bold new city of the South, it's going to take bold leadership who's not afraid to step out. See, anyone can follow, but it takes it takes courage to step out and lead. You need a leader who is not afraid to stand up and do the right thing because it's just the right thing to do. You know, right is always right. It's just not always easy. Wayne Clark is that leader who can stand up and be bold, who will go out front and lead and not wait for someone to say, let's follow. Jacksonville is on the cusp of becoming a great city. We need to get this, get this decision right this time to have a sheriff that is committed to doing what is right for all the communities of Jacksonville who has a vision that's anchored on trust, accountability, accessibility, compassion, and transparency. A person who's called and qualified to serve all the people of Jacksonville. And that's me, Wayne Clark. Well, Mr. Wayne Clark, thank you so much for coming on the show. If you guys want to check him out, make sure you check him out, Wayne Clark for Sheriff 2023.com. Again, that is Wayne Clark for Sheriff 2023.com. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much, Robert. We appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you.